This is the Cycling Over 60 Podcast, Episode 9, Vegan Cycling Fuel, and I'm your host, Tom Butler. I believe I have my training set for the next 58 days. I first need to work on being limber to help with my knee bursitis. This is pretty straightforward, just doing the stretching exercises given me by my PT. Secondly, I need to continue to do long enough rides to prepare me for spending eight hours a day in the saddle. And finally, I need to build as much leg strength as I can over the next eight weeks. I think I have a solid plan for building up my legs. I figure that gearing up and slowing my cadence will naturally work my legs more. I have tried this a few times and it seems to require more leg muscle. I don't think it's just my perception. I also have a climb that I like. I think it will help me get up the much-discussed Puyallup Hill. The ride is only 3.6 miles. It climbs 561 feet, with 491 feet happening in the last 2.8 miles. It has a max slope of 14.2%. I think this is a good training ride for the Puyallup Hill. That section of the STP route is about 3 miles, with an elevation gain of 436 feet. The quote hill is a mile long with a 7% grade. I want to make this training climb part of a longer ride. I'm going to turn it into an 18 mile ride that does the climb twice. The last three miles would just be coasting, so it's more like 15 miles. Hopefully, I will see some steady improvement by doing this route. Currently, I need to step off the bike a few times to keep my heart rate from going too high when doing this climb. I really want to get to the point that I will not have to step off the bike at all during the Puyallup Hill. I know that I am not there yet, so stay tuned. I had so much fun last weekend. I was invited to set up a booth at VegFest in the Seattle area. I never considered having a Cycling Over 60 booth, so I had to come up with something to do. I decided to make a handout on starting a cycling fitness program at any age. I sat at one side of the table with a chair on the other side and simply engaged people in conversations about their bike experiences. It was so much fun and I met so many really inspiring people. You will hear from some of them in future episodes. I would love to do that again sometime. One person that was there is a friend of mine named Heather Resick. I asked Heather to come on the podcast and talk about vegan cycling fuel. I am not a vegan. I do avoid meat for health reasons. But at VegFest, my booth faced an area where for two days, medical experts talked about the benefit of going 100% plant-based food. I have to admit, after two days of hearing their reasons, I have an interest in considering a full vegan diet. Here is my discussion with Heather. I want to welcome Heather Resick to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Glad to be here. Heather has her website, which is just heatherresic.com. And on your website, you say it is a challenge to get healthy meals on the table day after day. And so that is why I wanted to have Heather join me on the podcast, because I want to eat healthy. This journey that I'm on to do the STP is about being healthy. And part of that is eating healthy. And I've known Heather for a little bit, and I really like what she's doing. Uh, She helps people figure out how to take on the challenge 
of of eating more healthy and particularly from kind of the being really innovative at food preparation and focusing on vegan diets or plant-based diets. And there are three main things that you talk about or three areas that you highlight on your website, which is quick and easy, decrease mealtime stress, and feel better and boost energy. So those are all things that I know are important in my family, at least. I'm wondering what led you to focus on plant-based cooking? I've always been a vegetarian. In about 22 years, I became totally plant-based. And I am totally convinced that it is the healthiest diet. And so I am a big advocate of trying to help people eat more vegetables, eat more plant-based. Now, you have some education behind your just personal desire to eat plant-based. Can you talk a little bit about your background? Yes, I was a foodie long before I knew it. I'd go with my mother to the grocery store and, oh, let's try this new fruit or let's try this new food. And I've always been adventurous when it comes to food, but I was always within the plant-based realm. So when it came to college choices, I thought, oh, I'll become a nurse and focus on nutrition. But I quickly discovered that I was not cut out to be a nurse. We were in my first semester of college, we were practicing giving orange, uh, giving shots to oranges. And it was like, I am not cut out to do this. (laughs) So thankfully, my advisor helped me learn about dietetics. And that was a much better fit for me. Just being able to focus on food and nutrition is exactly where my interests lie. And so you are a registered dietitian. Yes. And there's an awful lot of registered dietitians, I imagine, that aren't focused on plant-based diets. That is correct. I had the opportunity to get my dietetics training at Loma Linda University, which focuses on a plant-based diet. So that gave me an additional background in the benefits of a vegetarian as well as a vegan diet. But these days we're calling it plant-based and I think anybody can benefit from eating more plants. Yeah, it seems like I, I, you know, living in the Seattle area, of course, it's maybe different than than in some areas of the country. But it just seems like you hear more and more. Um, we just came from VegFest recently, and you know, you just are seeing a lot of products come out to support plant based choices for for a number of reasons. In my focus, I'm interested again at doing the STP, the Seattle to Portland bike ride. So my interest is if I go full vegan, which I'm not right now, if I go vegan, is that going to help me as far as my performance with the STP? I did watch a movie a while ago called The Game Changers that I thought was very interesting. And that focused on athletic performance and a vegan diet. I'm wondering, do you think that there's still a lot of misconceptions about vegan diets and especially those towards athletic performance? Definitely. The protein myth is still alive and well. So a lot of people keep wondering how people that are on a plant-based diet get enough protein. 
But I think the the documentary, The Game Changers, did a very good job of showing how a plant-based diet can help athletes, even ultra-athletes, to improve their performance. If we were going to touch on some things in that realm, you know, what is it, what are some things that maybe there's an advantage of with a vegan diet that you don't get with eating a lot of animal products? One of the biggest advantages that has been shown in research and also was pointed out in the documentary, The Game Changers, is about the recovery Eating a plant-based diet improves the recovery time. And that's because plant-based foods, we're talking fruits and vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts and seeds, all of those are packed with antioxidants, fiber, and so many other phytochemicals that are beneficial for helping our bodies to recover. Antioxidants are a big one. And a recent study showed that tomato juice is a good post-recovery beverage because of all the lycopene, which is an antioxidant. You said a word phytochemicals. Can you explain what phytochemicals are? Well, phyto means plants. So it just means a naturally occurring compounds or chemicals that are present in plants. And scientists are discovering them more and more. We only know probably a small fraction of what is there, but the studies continually show that they are beneficial to our health. Something that I found interesting about the Game Changers movie is they were making these recommendations, these athletes, you know, and and one of the teams that was uh, highlighted was the Tennessee Titans, who did very well. Um, you'll have to watch the movie to to really get that story. But they were giving recommendations that you would give for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you could talk a little bit about like vegan diets and improved cardiovascular health, for example. And that's the beautiful thing about a plant-based diet. And I tend to prefer that terminology over vegan because it's a little broader and puts the focus on plants as opposed to a philosophical aspect that may be focused on on animal rights. But a plant-based diet is beneficial for heart health because it does not have cholesterol if you it's totally plant-based is low in saturated fat, high in fiber, high in the antioxidants, and studies show that it is beneficial for preventing and even reversing heart disease, especially if it's a low-fat diet. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that is crucial, you know, what I'm looking at. You know, again, I'm looking to do this to be healthy. I'm not in training to win a gold medal or some kind of recognition that way. I'm doing it to be healthy. I want to be able to improve my cardiovascular health along the way. And the other thing that I think is important, you had mentioned nutrients and phytochemicals, and it seems like a plant-based diet that contains variety and, you know, you could do a plant-based diet that isn't varied, but a plant-based diet that includes a lot of variety, that it's really nutritionally dense. 
Right. If you choose your foods right. You know, some people will eat French fries because they're vegan, but that's a junk food diet. So yes, it has a lot to do with food choices. Those wise food choices from a wide variety of foods, it will definitely promote good health. Can you talk maybe a little bit about just the concept of of nutrient density? This is where a whole food plant-based diet, as it is often called, is, I believe, the best diet because we're focusing on minimally processed foods and we are able to then incorporate those foods as, as close to nature as possible into our diet. So we're essentially eating as close to nature as close to how the creator intended us to eat. I go around the grocery store. I experience aisle after aisle of things that are like, to me, seem the opposite of nutrient dense. How big of an issue do you think that is as far as the typical American diet? That is a huge issue because the bulk of the foods in the grocery store are engineered foods. They're highly processed, and when processing happens, concentration of fats and sugars and salt may happen, but essentially a lot of the other nutrients are refined out, the fiber and so many of the naturally occurring beneficial vitamins and minerals. Another thing that I'm really interested in are things that I hear about inflammation and how a plant-based diet can impact the inflammatory process, I guess is maybe a good way to say it. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I absolutely believe that a plant-based diet is the best anti-inflammatory diet because of all the beneficial compounds present naturally in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. And also because meats, poultry, fish, and eggs contain um, inflammatory compounds, such as arachidonic acid is one of the inflammatory compounds that's present in animal products. Well, this is a big concern for me. I, I find that I have to fight inflammation when I'm working out. And I think I don't think that's atypical, but I think at my age, if I want to continue to cycle for you know a couple decades at least, then I need to be thinking about how I can, you know, feed my body in a way that, that reduces inflammation. Absolutely. Another thing that I'm interested in is better digestion. So what does a plant-based diet have to do with digestion? One of the huge benefits of a plant-based diet is it's much higher in fiber, which helps with satiety. It helps you stay full longer. It helps with regularity. It helps with reducing cholesterol. It helps in lowering uh, blood pressure. There's so many benefits of those anti-inflammatory compounds that are naturally present in plant-based foods. Looking up here that on average, American adults eat 10 to 15 grams of total fiber today, where the recommended daily amount for adults age 50 is 25 grams for men and 38 grams for women. And men and women older than 50 should have 21 and 30 grams daily, respectively. Obviously, this is a broad problem. 
as far as getting adequate fiber, which seems to be one of those things that vegan diet is specifically tailored to provide. That's true. And one of my favorite tools for helping people increase their fiber intake is a book and a website called Full Plate Living. And it's all about helping people find ways to incorporate more fiber, which is essentially including more plants in their diet, because fiber only comes from plants. But you can choose to eat white pasta, or you can choose to eat a whole grain pasta, or you can choose to eat a pasta that's made from beans or lentils, which have even more fiber. I know that you work with people who are meat eaters, who consider meat to be essential um, for flavor and texture. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about what have you found as far as people making that transition? Can people make that transition or is it just so difficult that you basically have to give up enjoying food to make that transition? That's a good question. And I never tell people you can't eat meat. I just help them to focus on eating more plant-based foods. And for most people, it's a gradual process. Although there are people that choose to suddenly drop off the meat and the dairy products and the eggs for various reasons and do it cold tofu, as we would say. (laughs) Most people find a gradual approach to be a lot more sustainable. So starting with Meatless Monday and just eating all meatless meals on one day is, is a as a place to start and just looking for more plant-based foods to incorporate in your diet, black bean burrito or a burrito bowl with lots of veggies and brown rice. And it is a good place to start to start. Let's talk a little bit about kind of what I'm needing from a meal planning perspective. So there's some examples of food intake that are a part of this journey that I'm on. I want to build muscle and I want to have enough energy to go on two hour rides several times per week. I've got about eight weeks now, you know, every pound that I would lose between now and the SDP is one less pound that I have to carry 206 miles. So I'm wondering what are some vegan options for me that would help me as I'm in this training phase? What would what are some good concepts to keep in mind as I'm training to put me in the best place to to get stronger, to get more prepared for the STP? One of the key concepts to keep in mind is not only what you're eating, but when you're eating. And I find that people do better if they are front loading their calories. By that, I mean eating a good hearty breakfast a good substantial lunch, and then eating light in the evening because our metabolism slows down in the evening. And so that by just doing that with your eating can help you to become a little more lean to also improve your insulin resistance or decrease your insulin resistance. So you're getting the most benefit from your calories and from all those good carbohydrates and fats that you're eating in your diet, as well as the protein. 
you talked about the, you know, there's this myth that, you know, you need to have animal protein in order to really build muscle. Do you think plant-based protein is actually better than animal protein? Yes, I do believe that plant-based protein is better than animal protein. It's much easier on the kidneys to process. We used to believe that plant-based proteins were incomplete, that you had to carefully combine foods at one meal in order to get a complete protein. But now we understand that the body has an amino acid pool where it takes those amino acids, the building blocks of protein from each of the foods that you eat, it pools them together and combines them to make the proteins that your body needs for all the different body processes. So as long as you're eating a wide variety of food within a 24-hour period, you're able to get all the protein that you need. Now, an athlete will definitely need to have more protein than a sedentary person, but it's still very possible and very easy to meet all of those protein needs on a plant-based diet. Are there some plant-based foods that are complete proteins? Well, it depends on your definition of a complete protein. Essentially, all plant foods have all of the amino acids in them. However, the amounts of those different amino acids that are essential for health will vary considerably. And that's where combining, say, beans and grains complement each other and provides a more complete protein. But foods such as quinoa, because it's a seed, tends to have a higher profile of, of protein in it and is considered an example of a complete protein plant food. I think quinoa is a good example of something that has come about because there's enough people looking at a plant-based diet to create a market for different uh, different foods. I don't think I knew, you know, 20 years ago, many people that were eating quinoa and <laughs> now true. yeah, now, you know, a lot of places you go, you'll find a quinoa bowl. There's some things that I see that are plant-based and are kind of protein substitutes, like substitutes for chicken or beef or whatever. And they don't really seem that much more nutritious than, you know, than meat would be. They seem pretty processed, I guess, is the is the main thing. Well, it is true. Some of those are very highly processed. However, the body still is better at dealing with those plant proteins, even if they are highly processed, than it does with the animal proteins. And that's one of the things that came out in the Game Changers documentary is a lot of those athletes are substituting like uh, processed burgers and, and those types of foods because of their convenience. And they are still getting a lot of advantages with a plant-based diet, even though they are including some processed foods. Yet the preponderance of their diet is primarily from plants, vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds and beans, whole grains. I have to watch my diet from a perspective of uh, blood sugar. I avoid added sugar uh, always. Is there 
anything about eating a plant-based diet that helps people manage their blood glucose levels? Absolutely. Number one is fiber, which has a time-released action, and that helps to keep the blood sugar more stable. And a low-fat plant-based diet has been shown to be very effective in helping to reduce blood sugar levels, as well as often helping people reduce or get off of medication. Something that I heard you mention one time quite a while ago, resistant starch. Can you talk a little bit about what a resistant starch is? And that's one of the benefits that is present with meal prep. Resistant starch, as the name implies, is a type of starch that is a lot like fiber in that it's not digested. It goes through the body without being um, broken down into calories or fuel, but it has beneficial effects on the microbiome. Some examples of resistant starch would be potatoes that have been cooked and cooled. And after the potatoes have cooled down, they develop this resistant starch, which means that they are going to have a lower glycemic load. So they're going to have less of an effect on blood sugar. Other examples would be brown rice that has been cooked and cooled. And even if you reheat these foods, that amount of starch is still resistant to digestion and still provides that benefit. And it also provides some food for the good bacteria in our guts. Beans are another example of resistant starch. So those complex carbohydrates and beans are particularly beneficial for us because of that resistant starch. And again, with beans, is it the same thing to cook them and then let them cool or? Yes. Okay. That's very interesting. And that's what I love about batch cooking, because if you cook a big batch of beans or brown rice and then store them, what you need for a few days or stash them in the freezer, not only are you creating your own convenience foods, but you're getting the benefits, the health benefits of the resistant starch. Okay. So. You mentioned bi- microbiome. Could you talk a bit about microbiome and then connect that to plant-based uh, diet choices? Yes, this is a hot topic and one that I love to talk about. A recent study showed that people that consume a variety of plant foods in their diet, in fact, over 30 30 or more different plant foods in a week's time had a healthier microbiome because each of those healthy bacteria thrive on different types of fibers. And so the wider variety in your diet, the healthier the gut, the microbiome is going to be. So I'm a big advocate of variety of plant foods. And again, that's to me sounds like something if I want to maintain my ability to cycle over 60 and over 70 and over 80, that having a healthy gut biome is something that's going to be really advantageous. Absolutely. Because that is involving your immune system, 
It has to do with so many aspects of health. You mentioned batch cooking. I'm wondering if there are a few key things that you think people should know that can help reduce the amount of time it takes to eat healthy. One of the things it seems like that drives diet for for a lot of Americans is that every everybody's so busy. You know, if people want to know in depth about cooking healthy and doing it conveniently, then you offer cooking classes at heatherresic.com and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But are there a few key things that you think people should know about as far as reducing the amount of time it takes to to make healthy meals? Yes. And a big one of those is planning. If you can just spend five minutes at the beginning of the week figuring out what you can cook in batch, what your meals are going to look like throughout the week, you can save yourself a lot of time. And then if you can just do a little bit of that batch cooking, it may take two or three hours if you're going to cook enough food to plan for the majority of the week. But those hours invested in doing some cooking forward, as I call it, will pay rich dividends because you have food at the ready in the refrigerator that you can quickly pull together a meal. I like to think of it as mix and match components. And you can easily create a bowl if you have brown rice and beans and greens and some type of sauce, or you you have something to put on a baked potato. There's so many different simple meals that you can create once you have some of those things on hand. That's fantastic. I do have this eight weeks that I'm training. You know, that's going to be structured, you know, and I need to start thinking about now how I'm going to plan, but then I'm going to come up to the night before. It seems like you're always hearing about carbo loading. Seems like that's like standard practice that you carbo load the night before. My understanding is that the goal is to get as much glycogen stored in your body as possible um, because you're going to do this strenuous event the next day. Carbo loading seems easy from a vegan perspective because there's a lot of plant-based carbohydrate. I'm wondering if you can think of some, what are some things that should be considered or what are some things that you think creatively about as far as getting those carbs in the night before? Like you mentioned, those complex carbohydrates for carb loading are readily available in a plant-based diet. And I think immediately of beans, because not only are they high in protein, they're high in carbs. I think of potatoes or sweet potatoes, Of course, pasta is probably the most popular meal for carb loading, but you can get healthier types of pasta and put different types of sauces on it. Whole grain breads are another option. There's so many different things that you can work with. So it's not like you're restricted. When you say that there's different kinds of pasta, uh, what, what are some pasta choices that you make? Well, I'm gluten intolerant, so my choices are probably more limited than most. But in general, you can find whole wheat pasta. 
If that doesn't appeal to you, you can try brown rice pasta. There's also quinoa pasta. And now there are chickpea pastas and lentil pastas. There's so many different ones that not only contain carbs, but also contain protein and some fiber and other nutrients. Whereas white flour pasta is basically just refined carbs. Another food intake point is what to eat in the morning before the STP. I have been on a few long rides now, and I don't find that I have much of a problem as far as digestion is concerned. But I'm wondering if you know, you would have some thoughts about what to eat like right before. I love avocados. Would avocados be a good choice? What thoughts do you have as far as that, you know, that meal right before heading out? And this is where bio-individuality comes in because you have to consider digestion in the whole process. Ideally, you would eat a high-carb, healthy, plant-based meal several hours before you start off on your ride so that digestion is done. You're not still trying to digest while you're exerting all of that energy. But I understand that it the ride starts pretty early in the morning, so that may not be practical to do. But there is that fine line between getting those healthy carbs into your diet, as well as the protein and the other nutrients that your body needs to fuel that performance, but also balancing that with digestion, because you want your body to not be trying to digest while it is intensely exercising. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, you have the need to refuel. So you have to figure out what works best for your body. Now, what about oatmeal? Like, Is oatmeal something that's more easily digested than, say, like a hearty whole grain piece of toast or, or not really? It really depends. I would say they're fairly similar for most people. Although when I eat a bowl of oatmeal, I'm usually hungry two hours later. So it depends on the person again. Gotcha. You know, I'm kind of thinking maybe good oatmeal with some fruits, maybe some nuts, or maybe some toast, some avocado toast, mm -hmm. um, you know, with some fruit on the side. Um, so I, I still want to experiment around with eating before I go for a ride. You had said something earlier. I typically ride in the afternoon. Do you know of anything and maybe... This isn't in your area, but do you know if there's some um, advantage as far as how you use calories to, to exercise earlier in the day? Well, for weight loss, people usually find that if they are exercising first thing in the morning before they have consumed any food, that because their body is having to consume or burn calories from stored fat and glycogen, that that tends to contribute to weight loss as opposed to exercising later in the day. Hmm. So that's one thing to consider. Another part of calorie intake and writing is that I recently learned that I need to eat more frequently during a ride, you know, where I can eat it, but it's relatively easy to eat. And it, I want it to be relatively low in sugar, it needs to be easy to transport, easy to eat. Do you have any thoughts, any ideas? 
Yes, I recommend nomeatathlete.com. They have a lot of great ideas on their website. And one of them is a homemade energy bar. Mm. And it contains beans, as well as some whole grains and nuts and seeds. So it has high fiber, high protein and high carbohydrate. And those carbohydrates are some more slow released and then some more quick release. So I think that that provides a good healthy balance. And that's something that you can make ahead of time and take with you. Nice. We're going to be stopping around 50 miles around halfway through actually each day and take in some calories and take a bit of a break. I want to do something that will be easy in my stomach, but also help me to have what I need to get to the finish line. So I'm wondering kind of what that halfway stop should be as far as consuming some food, or if maybe it's just don't worry about that, but consume food along the way. What do you think? I think you really have to play it by ear. I was just talking to a cyclist and he has learned to tell when his body desperately needs to be refueled. And of course, you want to avoid getting to that point. Hmm. So part of it is learning those clues, but more importantly, trying to prevent that. So adequate hydration, making sure that you are not depleted in electrolytes is really key. But I find just consuming enough water is a, a big consideration for a lot of people and yet not having to stop and and urinate at the same time. Right. So again, it's another delicate balance that requires a lot of thought and just paying attention to your body. The last thing is at the end of the day. So I know that I'm going to be really tired, <laughs> but uh, I also want to feed my body. And I've I've seen some stuff that it's pretty important what you eat in order to set your body up for recovery. Do you have any thoughts around what that food intake should be? Again, plant-based is the best fuel for recovery, but it should be including healthy carbs, healthy fats, and healthy protein. And you can get all of that from plant-based foods because you need the carbs to refuel glycogen stores, you need the protein and the fats, and then all of those micronutrients and antioxidants that are going to help to reduce inflammation and just provide the nutrients that your body needs when you are putting so much stress on it. Awesome. What are some things that you recommend for people as they make a shift to a plant-based diet? You gave one recommendation already, which is meatless Mondays. What are some of the things that you advise people on? That's where it's really helpful to get recipes from friends, to attend cooking classes, to check out books from the library, to look at food blogs, just to start exploring the wide world of plant-based cooking. And so many other cuisines different cultures like Ethiopian is one example that of a cuisine that has a lot of plant-based options. You can also find a lot of plant-based options 
with Asian food, if you are using tofu instead of the meat. So that uh, Mexican, if you use the beans that don't have the lard in them, that's, that is another plant-based option. And so there's a lot of different inspiration that you can get from different cultures. I'm wondering about the impact that you make in people's lives. What You do education, you're online and you do groups. How are you looking to impact people through the cooking education that you do? I teach plant-based cooking classes because I want to empower people to eat healthier. And I teach hands-on cooking classes because I want people to gain confidence that they can do it in their own kitchen. It's one thing to watch a cooking demonstration on the Food Channel or, or YouTube, but another thing to actually taste it and experience how good it is, and then to be able to get some experience to gain those skills. I find that that makes a world of difference for helping people as they're just exploring the world of plant-based cooking. So what do your classes look like then when you're, it sounds like you have two different things. One is where people are able to watch you online cook. Do they cook at the same time when they're watching you? Yes, it's a cook-along class. And okay. some people prefer to just watch and that's okay too. But I send the recipes out a week in advance. So they have time to look them over. They can choose if they want to do all the recipes or just a handful of them or just one, buy the ingredients and then just have everything ready to go when the class starts. And then we cook together. And that way they have the opportunity to ask questions along the way. And it's just makes it more fun and a more valuable learning experience. If anybody wanted to get involved with your classes or or other resources, maybe you can talk a bit about other resources that you might be able to make available for people. How how would they do that? It's all on my website at heatherresick.com. So that's Heather and my last name is R-E-S-E-C-K. And there they can sign up for a meal prep plan if they want some ideas on how to start doing some meal prepping. They can sign up for the three secrets of quick meals, both of which are delivered by email. And then there's also information about the classes that I teach. And then I have a number of different recipes and some a few blog posts there. So just a variety of resources at heatherresic.com. That's fantastic. And it's fantastic that you're bringing in so many years, you know, really a lifetime of experience with, with this form of cooking and, and this form of meal preparation that's not just it's not just about healthy. It's also about enjoying food. Absolutely. And I, I will put a link to your website in the show notes and then some of the things that we've talked about. And I want to invite people, if you are a vegan cyclist and you happen to hear this show and you have some favorite recipes, please send them my way. You know, you can find my website or I'm sorry, my email at uh, cyclingover60.com. And so share those recipes with me. And Heather, if I get some recipes that I try and I really like, I'll pass them on to you as well. I would love that. And I want to thank you so much for taking your time to do this. And um, I'm thinking if people 
have questions, they can maybe send you questions uh, through your website. Is that right? Yes, they sure can. I want to encourage people to do what Heather recommended early on here that you know, think about doing some substitutions, maybe just one meal a week, or maybe, you know, a whole day a week, but think about easing into it and educate yourself. There's a lot of information out there now about the advantages of of a plant-based diet. So, you know, educate yourself to, you know, look into it. I'm definitely going to be checking out the no meat athlete and learning what I can there. Cycling over 60 might be a situation where it's like cycling over 60 and eating better over 60. And that would be that would be a cool outcome to you. So thank you so much, Heather, for giving us some inspiration to, to look at better food choices. My pleasure. And I'll talk to you later. Bye now. Like I said earlier, I spent two days at VegFest listening to experts talk about the advantage of a plant-based diet. And talking with Heather, it seems like it's doable. It takes time to prepare good plant-based meals for sure. But I think it is possible if I do what Heather suggested and plan things out more. At least, I think I will limit animal products as much as possible between now and the STP and see how it goes. The truth is that I think that there is a ton of evidence that if I go fully plant-based, that I will be giving my body more of what it needs for me to keep cycling later as I get older. So what do you think? Would you consider going full plant-based? If so, why? Please reach out to me on Instagram or through email. Brian did that this week and brought up a couple of issues that I will be finding experts to address later. My Instagram and email are in the show notes. So please send me your thoughts and especially topics that you would like to hear on future episodes. I hope you found the information in this episode interesting, and I hope you are enjoying getting out on the roads or trails with your bike. Remember, age is just a gear change.